Diane and I and our two sons that live here in the, in the Oklahoma City area and their families, we all go to the Oklahoma City campus of Life Church, pastored by uh, Craig Groeschel as the senior pastor. And that's just one of 36 campuses in the United States, uh, in 11 different states. The campus that we go to in Oklahoma City is where the, the church began. Uh, that was our first uh, campus. Uh, they also have church online. And there's several hundred people that worship at the campus where we go at Oklahoma City. So it's so different than what I was pastoring to uh, for 26 years. Uh, sometimes I had uh, two or three churches and, you know, at the best would maybe have 100 people on a Sunday morning. So Life Church is not for everyone. Uh, some people would not care for the music, uh, contemporary um, guitars and drums and keyboards and and all. Uh, some people maybe wouldn't care for Pastor Craig's style of, of uh, presenting a message. Uh, some people wouldn't like it just because of the number of people that are there. But when I go, I see hundreds of young families, meaning hundreds of children. Uh, my wife volunteers at the 10 o'clock service in Life Kids, which would be, I guess, equivalent to what you would call Sunday school. Uh, yesterday or whenever she was last in there, she's in the two-year-old room, and there was 23 two-year-olds. Uh, they had 29 a few weeks ago in there. Uh, they have something for every age group. They have Switch which is for uh, middle school, high school, and uh, that's a midweek. And out of Switch, they have what they call Swerve. Uh, and those are Switch kids that choose to serve. And so my wife said that they usually have three or so uh, of the Swerve uh, volunteers in with her and usually two other adults. Uh, serving. So there's hundreds of volunteers at the church. Uh, they have people out parking cars. They have, um, I think, two guys in uh, these long golf carts uh, picking up people that if they're parked farther away or if the weather's bad, they can hop on this golf cart and get a ride to the door. Uh, people at the door greeting you. Uh, they have uh, hospitality centers. Uh, where they have ice water and uh, coffee and uh, iced tea. Uh, they have people that are seating you in the sanctuary uh, and all these people that are working in the life kids and all the different age groups. So is this the best way to do church? I don't know. It is for thousands of people. Uh, we drive by seven churches in about four miles that we drive to church. Uh, we go by a Baptist church, uh, a couple of Presbyterian churches, a, a Lutheran church, a Free Methodist church, and a, a couple other churches. Uh, in Oklahoma, most of the churches are open, uh, at least uh, 
to some degree. Now, at Life Church, we're not at full capacity yet. Um, they're keeping distance between people. The rows are further apart than what they were before all of this. And, um, and uh, some churches, you know, are at like 25% capacity or whatever it might be. Uh, some are still just online. Uh, so I'm not saying, you, you know, you should quit going to your church and find a, a, a life church or do church online. Uh, I am saying uh, check out uh, church online uh, through Life Church, uh, in addition to wherever you're worshiping, however you're worshiping, and you'll be blessed. And as a side note, Life Church has many, many different free resources that are available to your church, uh, for your kids' church, uh, for your leaders, you know, whatever it may be. So you may want to check that out. But let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks that you uh, should be the center of uh, any body of believers. Uh, and uh, Lord, we, I just give you thanks that I know we're where we worship uh, through Life Church, that you are the, the center of all that happens there. And so, Father, I just praise you for that. So, Lord, as we uh, look at your word, Lord, help us to see what you've got for us. Um, what I'm going to look at today is is something that, you know, most everybody listening has, has read and heard and maybe studied before, heard messages on before. But, Lord, just open our ears for something new. And Lord, just let your Holy Spirit guide us and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, in the beginning. You know, there's familiar words to any churchgoer. Uh, unfortunately, that's as far as many others can go. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Is the rest of uh, Genesis one one? You know, you kind of almost expect to see lightning bolts and hear crashes of thunder when you hear those words. But have you thought about what those first six days must have been like? Uh, I want you to humor me for a little bit and just try to use your imagination. Okay, just as best you can. Picture God, the Father, and Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and you. Uh, you're, you're sitting on the front porch of heaven, uh, maybe in a porch swing, maybe sitting on rockers. And as you're sitting there, God says, well, you know, I, I think it's about time. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit and you look at each other just kind of wondering, you know, what's what's that about? And after a long pause, Jesus says, well, you know, time for what? And God doesn't answer right away, but he says, well, time to do some creating. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit get all excited. You know, the Holy Spirit says, you know, we've been waiting for this day forever. And he really meant forever, like since the beginning of time. So the Trinity puts their heads together and discuss how to go about making a universe. Now, 
For you and I, obviously, that would be no small task. But for God, it's not that monumental because God is God. So they get started. Should they just do it all at once? You know, kind of just snap their fingers and there it is, just like we see it today. But they just decide that, you know, since they've waited so long, you know, let's kind of make a project out of this, all right? So the first day, you know, they want to have some light. You know, they're just surrounded by all this darkness. <coughs> and so they think it would be good to have some light, you know, and have day and night. And so it happens just like that. Well, then on the next day, God says, you know, the water just kind of seems to be everywhere. So, you know, why don't we fix that? So they, they separate the water from the sky, and God, they think that's pretty good. He likes that. So on, on day three, Jesus says, you know, it still seems like there's water all over. You know, what if you make some places where there's no water? And God made that happen, kind of just like that. So now there was land and there were seas. And God, he really liked that and said, what if we made something to grow on the land? You know, we could make some, some trees and some grass and, and other plants, you know, flowers and, and all. And, and they'd all have seeds. So, you know, they could just keep on producing more, you know, just like they are. And so that's exactly what happened. God took a look and they thought that was pretty good. They'd done a good job on day three. So then on day four, God had another idea. What if we made a really bright light that would shine on this earth, we'll call it, and we could call that day. And the Holy Spirit thought that sounded like a good idea and said, well, maybe you could make another light that's not as bright and, and have it shine at night sometimes. And Jesus added, and, and you could make a whole bunch of little tiny flickering lights to, to shine at night. Well, God agreed with both Jesus and the Holy Spirit and well, that's just how it happened. So then on day five, God took a good look at the waters and said, you know, it'd be kind of nice if there were some, some kind of animals just swimming around in, there in the water. And, and we could make some different animals that you know, they have wings and they fly around in the sky and, you know, make them so they all can reproduce and make more animals to, to fill the skies and, and to fill the, the waters. And that's just how it happened. So that was the end of day five. <clears throat> now on day six, God looked around at everything he'd created. And he says, you know, we have fish and other things swimming in the water. And we, we have all these beautiful birds flying around. But there isn't anything that's on the land. You know, the birds kind of land for a while and all, but, you know, what if we make all kinds and all different sizes of animals to be on the land? 
you know, I mean, we can make some that are really, really huge, and we can make some others that are really tiny, and some that are really colorful and beautiful. And then Jesus added, well, make them so they can have more animals just like themselves. Great idea, Jesus, the Holy Spirit agreed. God said, that all sounds good, but I don't know, something's still missing. In a few moments, God's face lit up. I've got it. We'll make man, you know, in our image, to, to be like us. We can put him in charge of all the other animals that we've created. Jesus agreed, but he asked, well, can we make him in a special way somehow? God thought about it for a moment and, and said, give me some of that dust from the earth there. And when he had it, he started forming in his hands and kept playing around with it. And he held this man up and looked at it. And he carefully brought it to his mouth and he breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils. Now the man became a living person in the middle of this beautiful creation that God had, he had planted two special trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. And God told man, I've given you many trees to eat from and enjoy, but you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of, of good or knowledge, of the tree of good and evil. If you do, you'll die. God was pleased with all he'd created, but he still felt that uh, something was missing. He told Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you know, all the other animals, they've got mates except man, and it's not good that man, that he's the only one of his kind. So God had the man take a nap, and while he was sleeping, God removed one of the man's ribs, and he closed up the flesh, and from that rib, he created man's helper, woman. When God woke man up, he brought the woman to him, and the man said, whoa, she's really hot. No, the man was really excited, and he said, this is bone of my bones. I will call her woman because she was taken out of me. Now God looked over everything that had been created and said, what we have done is very good. That was the end of day six. Well, on day seven, God looked at Jesus and the Holy Spirit and said, you know, we've done a great work here these last six days. Today, I'm going to mark it as a holy day, a day for people to rest from their work. Now, that would be great if it was the end of the story, but it's not. Now, just a reminder here, I don't want anybody to get upset. You know, this is just my interpretation of how I see things happening, you know, with you and God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit sitting on the porch. Well, one of God's creatures was more shrewd than all the others that serpent, that snake. This one particular serpent, 
engages the woman, Eve, in conversation. The serpent says, Hey, Eve, why did God tell you you couldn't eat from the fruit of these trees? And Eve said, That's not what God said. He said we could eat all the fruit we wanted from any of the trees, except the ones in the middle of the garden. He said, if you eat that fruit or even touch it, you're going to die. <laughs> the serpent said, you won't die. God knows that if you eat from that tree, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. Well, Eve said, really? You know, that's really a beautiful tree. <laughs> And man, a fruit, that really looks delicious. It's different than any of the other fruit. And it would really be great to be as wise as God. So you know what Eve did next. She took the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to Adam, who apparently had been standing there all along, watching and listening to the conversation, because it doesn't say that she went and found Adam. It just says that she gave it to him. You know, Adam never said, you know, hey, Eve, you know, I really don't know if this is a good idea. And he didn't say, you know, Eve, why are you listening to this slimy snake? And he didn't say, Eve, God's probably not going to be too happy about this. Nope, not at all. Adam just seemed to have gone along with the whole thing. Now, we hear people say that it was all Eve's fault. I don't buy that. Okay, Adam could have changed things. But he didn't. In Genesis 3, 7, it says they knew or they realized or they became aware that they were naked. Their eyes were open to something new, something that had always been there. But they just, I guess, never paid any attention or happened to notice or thought anything about it. So the first clothes were made. So let's move on. Genesis 3, beginning in verse 8, God comes on the scene. They didn't have hell to pay. <laughs> they had heaven to pay. Well, we're told that they heard the Lord coming and they hid. Verses 9 and 10 says, God calls out, where are you? And Adam responds, when I heard you coming, I hid because I'm naked. So let's look at this, okay? First of all, do you think God was not aware of what had happened? I find that pretty hard to believe. I believe that God was listening in on Eve's conversation with the serpent. God knew exactly what they had done. And they had gone to hide, but God knew right where to find 
Adam and Eve. I think God's question, where are you, had nothing to do with where were they physically. It was all about what were you thinking? How could you betray me? I've given you all of this and you needed more? So Adam could have stopped Eve. He could have walked away after she ate the fruit. But he didn't. I want to share a quote from a devotional that I've been doing. It says, When Adam chose Eve over God, the perfect intimacy and relationship between Adam and God was severed. God knew what was happening, or excuse me, Adam knew what was happening, and he knew it was wrong, but he chose to partake. Secondly, Adam wasn't hiding because he was naked. They made their clothes. He was hiding because he thought God wouldn't be able to find him. He was hiding because he knew he was in big trouble. The last thing Adam wanted was for God to find him. Now the conversation goes on in verse 11. God asked two questions that he knows the answers to. First of all, who told you you were naked? And have you eaten what I told you to stay away from? Well, nobody told them they were naked. They saw they were naked, like they hadn't seen before. And God knew that they had eaten what they had told them to stay away from. Then we hear something that I do, we do at times. Adam says, it's the woman's fault. And not just the woman, but Adam tries to blame God. He says, it's the woman you gave me. It's like Adam is saying, if you hadn't given me this woman, this never would have happened. I wouldn't have eaten that fruit. I wouldn't have listened to that stinking, slimy serpent. That never would have happened. I was perfectly fine all by myself here. But you thought I needed her. So this whole thing is really not my fault. Does that sound familiar? I've said that in different ways. So Adam has thrown the ball over into Eve's court. And God asks her, what were you thinking, woman? So Eve tries to deflect. It's because of that serpent. He tricked me and I ate it. The, where she said that he tricked me, the, the, the Hebrew word there is nasha, which means he led me astray. He seduced me. He deceived me. He tricked me. Eve was not about to take all the blame. She didn't say it, but she maybe thought it. God, you're the one that made that lousy serpent. Maybe you're the one at fault. You know, if you hadn't had that serpent here, 
he wouldn't have tricked me into doing this. Well, from there, God lays out the way things are going to be from now on. First, to the serpent. He says, you are cursed more than any other animal. You will crawl on your belly in the dust. There will be hatred between you and the woman. There will be hatred between your offspring and her offspring. Then he looks at Eve. I can see him pointing his finger. Eve, you will have pain in pregnancy and you'll have great pain in childbirth. And your husband, he will be over you. Adam's probably thinking, huh, you know, maybe this isn't going to be as bad as I thought. But then God turns to Adam and again, probably pokes Adam in the chest with that finger and says, the ground will be cursed for you. You will struggle to make a living off of it. You will have to work hard to get what you need. And you were made from dust, and to dust you're going to return. Well, now we're back on the porch swing. God says, those people we made, now they know about good and evil because they ate from that tree of knowledge. What if they eat from the tree of life? Then they're going to live forever. Knowing this was not a good thing, Jesus suggests, why don't you kick them out of the garden? They don't deserve to be there anyways. And that's just what happened. God put a cherubim at the entrance and there's a flaming sword that says that it turns in every direction to guard the entrance. So what's our lesson from the first three chapters of the Bible? That's where sin began. And it's still here today. Because God is omniscient. In other words, he knows everything. He knew that Adam and Eve would fall. So, on the porch swing, God says, you know what's going to happen eventually, don't you? And Jesus says, yeah, but let's give him a chance. How often do I, do we, choose something else over God. Adam and Eve knew what they were about to do was wrong. Sure, the serpent talked to Eve, but I believe she'd probably been looking at it before and thinking, wow, that really looks good. I mean, this fruit over here is real good, but that really looks good. And so she said, eh, you know, the serpent says it'll be okay. Let's do it. And I'm going to be wise. I'm going to be as smart as God. You know, I often do something that I know that I shouldn't be doing, but I choose to do it. You know, Genesis doesn't tell us that Adam and Eve ever asked for forgiveness. They didn't 
fall on their knees or fall on their face and say, you know, God, we are sorry. You know, this is never going to happen again. You know, just give us another chance, please. You know, just forgive us for what we've done. No, doesn't tell us that. Doesn't tell us that they turned away from what they had done. Doesn't tell us that they had repented. You know, the Gospels and many other places in both the Old and New Testament talks about repentance. It's a choice. One that we have every day. No matter what we've done or how often we've done it, we can repent. Anyone, anyone, everyone can be forgiven. There's no sin that's too big. You know, you're not too dirty that God can't clean you up. If you haven't committed the sin that God isn't going to say, sure, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. Even though he knows that we probably will, you know, maybe later that day or next week or whatever, you know, we're going to fall right back in that same pit once again. And God knows that he's going to forgive us. But he wants us to work at not doing it again and again and again. And so we need to try to not do it again and again and again. Because we can't look at forgiveness as something that's just, hey, oh, hey, I can go and commit this sin. Go ask God to forgive me. I'm good to go. No, that's not the way God wants it to work. That's not how we should see it working. You know, we need to be of mind and say, you know, God, forgive me. And I'm really, I'm really going to try to not do this again. I'm really sorry that I did this and I really don't want to do it again. And I know that I shouldn't do it ever again. And I'm really, really going to try not to. But if we do, we know that God will say, okay, you know, you're forgiven. Sin is something that's always there. We're never going to live in a sinless world. Okay, we're always going to be dealing with things that are trying to pull at us and pull us away from the Lord until we get to heaven. That's the only perfect place there is. And so we're going to be dealing with sin here on earth forever. But praise God, we can be forgiven. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks that, that I know that those favorite sins of mine that keep coming back and back and back, that, Lord, that you will forgive me from them and that I can start anew with a, with a new blank page. But I know that it won't be long before there's things written on that page that I don't want you to see, but you already know that they're there. But that... I can come back to you and hand that to you and say, forgive me, and it's gone. Thank you. And Lord, if there's anybody that's listening that, that doesn't know you, that Lord, let them know that they can have their beginning. That they need to come to you like this. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And you gave me the only one there is, Jesus Christ, your Son. Father, forgive me for all my sin. Help me to, to not fall back into it. Give me strength. And Lord, let me know that you love me. Show me how I can serve you and how I can be a better person for you. In your Son's name, amen. Amen.